everyone from teachers to Mickey Mouse is a pedophile and has a secret creepy obsession with children is himself demanding that underage girls give reports on their menstrual cycles. Now, the talking point that's being kicked around is that this was an athletic association that's doing this, and they're not under DeSantis's office, so he can't be held accountable for any of that, which, of course, to my opinion, is right up there with, I was just following orders. First of all, DeSantis's own education commissioner is a member of this athletic association, and he appoints at least three of the members. Now, keep in mind, when a state's attorney down there That's said crazy. that he would not enforce DeSantis's abortion ban or sex changes for minors, DeSantis had him suspended. Florida is pretty much the only state where the legislature decided to make it where every elected official is basically an employee of the governor and that the governor can remove any elected office holder that he wants at any time for any reason or for no reason whatsoever. By the way, that state's attorney went to federal court to sue DeSantis over this. The federal judge said that he didn't have jurisdiction since these were state laws that DeSantis was using, but the federal judge did say that the state's attorney's First Amendment rights have been violated and that DeSantis's claims that the man was incompetent or that he had otherwise broached his duty was incorrect. But of course, DeSantis immediately turned around after this ruling and said, the judge agreed that this guy was incompetent and that we had every right to get rid of him. My point being that when DeSantis's own education commissioner is on this athletic board, that's DeSantis's man on the scene. And if this education commissioner is not objecting to what's going on with that athletic board, that's because DeSantis doesn't object to it either. The inbreds in Florida who signed away their ability to have a democracy did it because they figured that legislating a Republican to be in office forever would basically mean they could escape the very ballot box which they feared. The genetic, recessive, mentally deficient hayseeds who think that DeSantis's behavior is cute are desperate for anything that they can point to and feel like it's a win, even if it's not. A number of the Republicans have been watching helplessly as they see that they're losing more and more of the critical mass of support that they need to hold on to legislatures and be able to write the laws. And they saw that this process had begun a long time ago, so now it's all about trying to extend their rule as long as possible before the inevitable collapse. One of the principal means that they've been using is supersonic gerrymandering and making it where the one office that they think they can get at least at a statewide level through a preponderance of votes, they give that all the power in the state. Basically turning the governorship into a super branch of the state's government. As the electoral equivalent of what the white right think tanks have been advocating regarding federal judgeships. They know that the perpetually angry white right majority of votes that they've been relying on is dwindling and declining. So their ability to elect enough white wing nuts to write the laws is in decline. They need a way to be able to do an end run around the legislatures that they're losing their grip on. That's where the courts come in. This is the reason that Mitch McConnell has been so uber-obsessed with getting as many right-wing operatives appointed to the federal bench and making sure that they are as young as possible. Because federal judgeships are lifetime appointments, and by putting Federalist Society flunkies on the bench, the white right will be able to interfere with, if not stop, fully constitutional laws that they don't like. So this is their means to try to make sure that they at least remain in a position to influence policy for at least another one, perhaps even two generations. This puts the lie to the idea that the Republicans think people actually favor their policies. If they truly believed that, they wouldn't need to engineer kangaroo courts at the federal level, and they wouldn't need to violate the allegedly sacrosanct idea of local control. 
and basic democracy by giving the governor of a state the ability to remove any elected official that he doesn't approve of. And while it's true that all of DeSantis's asinine antics are in fact performative extremism, it's also true that he's desperately hoping that some of them might actually prove successful. Well, what happens whenever an electorate is stupid enough to allow someone to have political power without fear of ever losing it? It's not long before they begin abusing the very morons who gave them that perpetual power in the first place. Right now, DeSantis is trying to write the state curriculum for all of the universities and colleges in the state of Florida. So when it comes time to talk about an athletic commission, you think that DeSantis isn't actually watching this one? Don't dream. These white supremacists down in Florida will never admit that they were wrong. They're now claiming that it's okay for their underage daughters to have to give Governor Penny Sniffer reports on their mistresses. <laughs> it's like I've always told you. White supremacy only values its power. It matters to them more than anything, including the lives of their own children. These are people who won't do anything to stop school shootings, which are being committed by suburban and rural youth, shall we say. Definitely not being done by inner city youth. That's just a fact. Deal with it. So, of course, you can't possibly expect a gang of reprobates to protect the dignity and privacy of their own children when they refuse to do anything to protect those children's lives. You know, I get a chuckle out of the right-wing nuts fleeing to the state of Florida. It means that they're in retreat from other places in the country. They've thrown in the towel in these other states. The pathetic game of phony racial hysteria that the Manhattan Institute hired Chris Rufo to push only works in a handful of blood-red, clavering states. But it's not a national strategy. DeSantis's entire political strategy is do some outrageous thing, go on Fox News, and guffaw that they're owning the libs. Repeat. He's entirely desperate to get attention. He thinks that if he can get people to know who he is, then that means he'll get the nomination, and in his imagination, that makes him a shoo-in to be president. As DeSantis sees it, his entire problem happens to be one of name recognition. And as far as he's concerned, the only bad publicity is none at all. He thinks that it's much better that he be hated as opposed to people not even knowing who he is. I already explained in a prior video why it don't work that way. Elections, especially presidential elections, don't work like that. In his utter desperation, DeSantis is breaking the first rule of successful elections. Don't just do something, do something smart. Now, part of DeSantis's myriad of delusions comes from the fact that 2016 was a very, very rare event that a lot of Republicans are trying to tell themselves was somehow the norm when it wasn't. Yes, it was an upset for the ages when Donald Trump won the presidency, but the truth of the matter is, if anyone else had been on the ballot other than Hillary Clinton, he would not have won. It wasn't so much that Donald Trump won the election as much as the Democrats ran the worst possible person that they could. Hillary Clinton had plenty of stroke inside the Democratic establishment and with the white media, but she damn sure didn't make the political base of the Democrat Party's hearts go pitter-pat. That was what sealed her fate. You had a weakened Democratic contender, Hillary Clinton, and she was weakened because Obama had soured the Democrats' voter base, that is, black voters. Hillary Clinton's nomination was like a slap in the face. She refused to answer for or even acknowledge the decades of anti-black policies her husband set in motion and that she did nothing about when she was in the Senate. And she doubled down on this by refusing to go to campaign in places like Detroit, Atlanta, and Philadelphia because she figured that black voters had no choice but to vote for her because Trump is too dangerous. At least that was her assumption. 
Her goal wasn't to gain black support. It was to avoid black scrutiny and evade black demands. She did that, at least on the campaign trail, and she lost the election as a result. But for Republicans, they took the wrong lesson away from the 2016 election. First of all, they were terrified following the 2012 re-election of Obama. You should go back sometime and watch the video of Bill O'Reilly's reaction when Obama was re-elected. The conservatives had spent the first four years of Obama's administration repeating the pathetic mantra, voters only voted for Obama to prove that they weren't racist, but now they're going to vote against them to prove they're not stupid. This is what happens when you take refuge inside a bubble and the only company you have inside the bubble are other frightened, ignorant, like-minded bigots. And all of you sit around huffing each other's farts, repeating the same <laughs> lies over and over to each other. It's a form of self-invention. Well, reality always has a way of spoiling that little game. So when Obama was re-elected in 2012, the white right simply couldn't believe it. That's why O'Reilly said that Obama's re-election meant that the America they had all known was no more. Forget the fact that the America that the white right are so nostalgic for largely never existed in the first place. White supremacy is weak. It's the position taken by the dumbest, most feeble, most helpless and worthless in the society. White supremacy is terrified of its own shadow. It's a lie. And since it's a lie, the white supremacists become ultra hypersensitive to anything that even remotely seems like it might one day be a threat to them or merely even a challenge. A large part of their power is pushing the idea that only white people in general and white men in specific can and should lead. If people are made to see an example that refutes that lie, then they'll lose their minds because they know that their position is totally artificial. As Lincoln said, I would see the superior position assigned to the white man. He didn't say the white man would earn the superior position. He did not say that it was the white man's natural result of his own hard work, dent and industry. Lincoln said he wanted it to be assigned to the white man. That means handed to him. And for the Homestead Act, to the programs for GIs coming back from both of the world wars, all the way up to the PPP loans, this government has handed things to white society every day. So what happens when they see something like Obama come along? They see the threat of a meritocracy, the very thing the white supremacy promised that it would prevent from ever happening. White supremacy is a dirty deal a bargain made between the white elite and those rank and file who are classified as white. And the glue that holds it together is a system of goodies, giveaways, and guarantees assigned to those who the system is classified as white and denied to those classified as black. After Obama won re-election, they were terrified that there would never be another white president, at least never from the Republican Party. So when Trump won, they felt like they had one last chance to try to freeze the system in place. This is what's happened in Mississippi and Florida and other places. These white supremacists only say that what they ought to do is to... Some of these white supremacists have been bold enough to openly say that what they ought to do is to try to seize political power one last time by hook or by crook, and then as soon as they get the office, just declare that all future elections are canceled and that they are in charge forever. Look, I know there's a variety of people who come here, and when it comes to political policy, the opinions I see run the gamut. And I am the last one to say that the Walt Disney Corporation is our friend. But let's put aside whatever political views we may have about that rat's nest that Mickey Mouse came out of and understand that whatever your opposition to the propaganda coming out of the Disney Corporation, Ron DeSantis doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about you. Nothing he's doing is going to help black people. 
Neither Disney nor DeSantis is on our side. When the Florida GOP talks about Disney wanting to groom children, that's not disgust you sense from them, it's envy. When you hear these Florida GOP creeps talking about protecting children, that doesn't mean black children. All the laws they've been talking about have been geared toward white children. So when it comes to us, understand that fact. Disney and DeSantis are not our friends. One of them wants to spread confusion about identity. The other one wants to erase our identity. That's a distinction without a difference. And if you're one of these flat earthers who actually thinks that DeSantis' political grandstanding against Disney somehow has some good in it for us, let me ask you this. When has Ron DeSantis ever stood with black people on anything? Anything at all? When he claims that that AP Black Studies course that he blocked had gender identity material in it, that's sprinkling sugar on crap. Critical race theory has absolutely nothing to do with gender anything. Same with the 1619 Project. Do you see DeSantis embracing either one of those? Or has he made attacking critical race theory the cornerstone of his asinine would-be presidential campaign? Under white supremacy, the enemy of your enemy isn't necessarily your friend. When you're surrounded by this many bad guys, as often as not, the enemy of your enemy is your enemy too. We have no friends. Tattoo it on the underside of your eyelids if you have to. What DeSantis and trash like Rufo are doing is psychological masturbation. They're beating a drum that no one is listening to. The whole white right wet dream of outlawing anything that so much as offends them, which is everything, has largely been a failure, even in their own state. The problem, though, is that the Democrats are not reciprocating with retaliatory legislation, and they're not fighting DeSantis over any of his own maneuvers either. Black people have pushed policies that threaten the very white power that Democrats were supposed to be pacifying us into not challenging. They see certain advantages in allowing Ron DeSantis to run amok and, they hope, be able to push the envelope on certain things. Remember, White supremacy believes in taking both sides of the conversation. Thank you very much, Neely Fuller. We can't afford to let ourselves go getting confused about who the enemies, plural, are here. And what we also can't afford to do is to let trash like Ron DeSantis have the last word. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Hildman Gallo, Eric Bailey, Michael Rubin, LaFleur Ivy and Mary Bass. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Keying up, my brother from another mother lives more has some new content I'm about to share with y'all. I hope you enjoy it because I'm sure I will.
again, probably.
from America and around the world every single day, only on YouTube. The U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has said that all options are available to the United States government and U.S. military at this point in time in order to work together with Israel to prevent Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. He highlighted full U.S. support of the Iranian people, making sure to uh, delegate a difference there. This is not going to be a war against the Iranian people. It's going to be an administration change. He stressed that the decision of what they called a regime change, which regime is really just a negative verbiage term of administration. You see in uh, other countries like Russia and Iran, they'll call the U.S. government a regime. A regime just basically is uh, what you throw on. It's a blanket statement for when you want to, people to think of a government as wholly evil. <clears throat> so the U.S. government has said that a regime change, as they call it, remains ultimately up to the people of Iran. He added that the Iranian regime, as his words say, is convincing its people of the idea that it's the United States government that wants change. I want to take you to a recent uh, bit of news where Mike Waltz of Florida, other politicians, they warned that in order to win the world war that was coming, the U.S. military must begin to recruit a large number of women, a large number of immigrants. They say that the future force of the U.S. military is at stake right now. He's recently named as the chairman of the House Armed uh, Services Subcommittee on Readiness and Preparation. This is his quote. I'm ready to get to work to better equip the military and turn our forces away from woke priorities and back to winning wars. 25% of the American population, he says, is qualified at this point in time to enter into service. Most disqualifiers are physical. Either they have medication or they have fitness issues. It's a wicked problem, he warns, and the numbers are not in our favor. The U.S. government knows this. China knows this. Iran knows this. Russia knows this. All of the other countries that we are going to be at war with directly in this coming conflict know that the United States of America has a limited number of bodies to throw at these other countries. At the end of the day, we have seen strategists say over and over again that it really doesn't matter how high your technology uh, prowess is, your technological prowess. It doesn't matter too much what you're capable of techno uh, technologically or even from a tactical point of view. What we are going into now is going to be more of a reverting to the First World War where it's about trenches and bodies and blood in the sand, blood in the ground. And that is truly scary isn't it? Because no matter what they say in their propagandized bravado videos of look at our intense, massive capabilities from a military point of view, look at what happened. They let an entire surveillance aircraft make its way across the United States of America and didn't have the technological capabilities to do anything about it with uh, in, in any way reducing the harm that it would cause on American soil. If we can't take a balloon down, how can we expect to take a billion-man army down? This individual has said, I'm not saying that physical strength doesn't matter or that courage doesn't matter. 
but we need to stop assuming that certain segments of the population don't have those things. What they know is that soon our daughters, maybe our sisters, will need to be fighting alongside our brothers and our sons in the coming war. Signs are emerging that Mossad has major plans. They're planning an operation in Iran in 2023, a year that is going to prove, according to analysts, as a decisive one for all mid, uh, Middle Eastern geopolitics. They say that 2023 might be the year that the world sees a glowing sun from Iranian nuclear reactors, a sun that would be seen planet-wide. For decades, Israel's secret agents have been, of course, operating deeply within the shadows of sabotage in Tehran's uh, nuclear program. They've been working hard to try to slow it down. Mossad has already restructured current units in the last couple of years where they work now to focus on Iranian missions. This apparently has included creating new intelligence gathering teams. These teams are focused on the activities of Iranians and the nuclear program. They have bolstered or beefed up existing units that are tasked with what they call disruptive technologies. The agency, which is a spy agency, has also improved its cyber capabilities to better target Iranian uh, infrastructure and networks. Now, remember, I want you to you know, pay attention here. When they say, when they talk about taking out infrastructure in another country, they do it under the under a uh, savior figure, right? A godlike figure, like, oh, we're doing the right thing. But when Russia takes out infrastructure in the USA, and remember, we've had some rail derailments, uh, excuse me, trail derailments uh, in the last couple of uh, derailments in the last couple of weeks, in the last couple of days, even, including one that caught fire. Nobody talks about maybe that was Russia. Maybe it was Iran. Maybe it was North Korea. In a world at war and in the Russian-NATO confrontation, they say a point of no return is basically right around the corner. It's not too far off, and a point of no return toward nuclear conflict is right there. This will play a major part in it. The Turkish President Erdogan has said that in their relations with Russia, Turkey has respect and they have trust. Erdogan says that in my relationship with Mr. Putin, it is based on honesty and all our requests between the countries regarding different areas and all of these regions are answered. Basically, Turkey is going to propose to leave NATO and join Russia and China. Azerbaijani's uh, foreign ministry has said they have reiterated basically their previous stance. They are saying that there is reason to believe that uh, the suspended work of diplomatic missions in Tehran are part of a larger lead-up to a geopolitical conflict. Azerbaijan has held Iran responsible for attacks on the embassy recently. A NATO official has warned that the alliance is ready for a direct confrontation with Russia. This is a quote. Today, the main question is whether the hybrid war de facto declared on our country by NATO, this is from Russia, can be considered to be the alliance's entry into war with Russia. It is possible to view the delivery of a large volume of weapons to Ukraine as an attack on Russia. So when you have all these different countries saying that Russia is at war with America, is at war with NATO, at what point does the U.S., does NATO acknowledge it?
Let me tell you something. When that happened, when that exact moment happened where the U.S. makes an official declaration or you have a shock and awe moment, your world is going to change the next day. What I mean by that is your ability to get the goods you want, to be safe at work, to send your kids safely off to school will be just a memory in hindsight. You'll look back on it as people look back on fonder, easier times, and you'll say, I wish it could be like that again today. Until that happens, that's your today. That means you can go to the store and get the things that you need. You can build a group. You can get ready to defend yourself, your country, your family, your life, whatever it might be. You can be readier now than you are. If you are wholly ready, completely altogether ready, you can survive any event. You can go in your bunker for 50 years and you'll wake up the next day smiling. Well, we applaud you, but it's not likely a reality. Most of the times, people who have major plans for decades and they, they plan to just weather out any storm, it's even the smallest kinks, the smallest problems that cause them the biggest upset. They risk losing everything that they have built. And at the end of the road, they risk losing their life. You have to be prepared to evacuate. You have to know that your plans are going to fail. You have to know that uh, if you rely on air filtration systems, there's going to be a failure. If you rely on uh, wood stoves to heat your home, there's going to be a failure. It doesn't matter where it is. There's the likelihood for failure at any point. And just the smallest problem could set you back for years or it could even cost a life. Rob Bauer, the chairman of NATO's military comi uh, committee, has recently said that the alliance is ready now. They're ready to directly confront Russia. They say Russia continues to fight a war against Ukraine. Bauer, he's an admiral. He's an admiral in the Royal Netherlands Navy. What he was doing was telling a Portuguese television channel, RTP, that NATO is focused on rearmament at this point in time. Basically, they're giving out too many weapons to Ukraine and they need to build some back up. They say Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, has a strategic objective to go beyond Ukraine. That's right, to take out and expand this war into further neighboring countries. So when you see Poland say, we need to give Ukraine nukes today, when you see Latvia say, we need to destroy Russia today, they do this out of fear that the great bear will take over their land. <coughs> and that once again, you will see a rise in the Soviet Union under duress. The chairman who is reportedly advocating a peacetime war economy, and isn't that convenient, he added that it is important now for NATO nations to direct all of their capable civil industrial, uh, industrial production toward military objectives. Let me read that to you again. NATO is saying that to win this war, they must direct all capable civil industrial production toward military objectives. Guys, that is war footing. When you have maybe your grandmothers, your, maybe your aunts, maybe your great grandmas, maybe your great aunts, your great uncles, whoever it might have been that worked in the factories like mine did, worked in the uh, factories building things for World War II, that's exactly what they were doing. They were directed at a civil industrial production level to move all of those production capabilities toward military objectives. And so here you have NATO 
where you have different government officials saying that it is that time again. You know, I have no idea whether they will even officially declare a war, but that declaration doesn't matter like it did. These We're not talking about uh, the 1800s, the 1900s anymore. Now they can be killing each other without any official declaration. And just like then, until you're told what to do, your life will go on as you hoped it would. And many times under duress and many times under consequence, but they want your life to continue because they really want the best of both worlds. They want to command and conquer. They want to take over other countries. They want to send in industries. They want to send in their own corporations to then become leading members of other countries, industries, and infrastructure. And they want you to keep paying your taxes. They want the best of both worlds. We do have Chinese military experts who are warning right now against NATO's involvement in the war in Ukraine. They say that there is a danger of another war. They say that this danger of another world war in Europe is happening now. The Global Times, a Chinese state media outlet, has reported that things are getting very close to that point of no return. Speaking of the point of no return, we have an economy in shambles. The Federal Reserve's Powell has said that we predict fully that wages are going to decrease. So if the groceries are hard to buy right now, if the rent's hard to pay, if the electricity is getting unmanageable, they are sure it's going to get worse. A lot of people in America are not going to be happy with that. Will they riot? I'm not sure. Will it pass that red line in the sand, that, that, that line where people say, I don't care, I can't feed my kids, so I'm going to come for you? I don't know. I hope it doesn't. But that's the game they're playing with right now. You know, as you're a kid and you're taught to not play with fire, why? Well, fire is essential, isn't it? Just like people going to work, paying your bills, that's considered essential today. But if you just play with fire and you don't respect it, as the government is not respecting you, the fact that you are giving away one third of your life with no gain, just continuation. The fact that they don't respect you like a child doesn't respect fire, that child risks being burned. The government right now is risking being burned to ashes. I hope that you and your family are going to check back with us here every single day on YouTube. We bring you headlines from America and from around the world. Make sure you're subscribed. Please leave one comment and one reply. We have a great, very civil, very courteous community here. Call out uh, and report people when you see that they're not doing that. We're here to help each other. From a person who doesn't even think it's necessary to a person who thinks they can survive anything. We all have things to learn. If you have a question, please leave the word question first so that other people can come to your aid and hopefully get something answered that might save your life or just another reader's. Please, everyone, stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you. Thank you for being here every day. By all of our members on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Full Spectrum Survival. Every month, we send out survival cards and newsletters to our viewers and, and Patreon members there. If you'd like to join us in support of the channel, we'd like to get back to you. Also, check out contingencymedical.com. 
if you want real antibiotics by real doctors. And you can use the code FSS10 there to get a discount. And nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS. It's real long-term food storage. They really keep the nutrients in there. And they work hard to make sure that they taste good. The code FSS15 gets you a discount of 15%. I get no commission. Use them if you need to. Stay safe, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.